0: So, Um, I'm excited to share with you guys here this morning. We're going to continue our Ready to Launch series. Look at this great slide. I can't do this. This is all Aaron. I can't do this kind of thing, but um, so the Ready to Launch, we're looking at John chapters 12 to 19. So this is um, a huge chunk of the book of John. It's actually all taking place in the last week of Jesus' life, and the whole concept behind Ready to Launch is that he's preparing his disciples for his departure. He's teaching them what it's going to be like to have a relationship with God after he rises from the dead, how to have a relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It's kind of this ready, ready, set, go before he actually departs. Um, so if there's, if there's seven chapters in the New Testament about how to relate to God when he's risen from the dead, that's, that sounds like some good chapters to pay attention to, doesn't it? It's, it sounds like a pretty good section for us to dig into. It's, I mean, we relate the same way is the implication I'm making. So um, I'm going to read today from John chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. The question we're asking this morning is, how do we follow Jesus in doing the good, hard things? Doing the good, hard things. How many, how many of you know that doing the good or loving thing is not always easy, right? I mean, and sometimes, right? Okay, and sometimes it's extreme too, right? Sometimes it's not just a moderate inconvenience, but if we're looking at Jesus' example, sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it means like martyrdom. Sometimes it means giving up your life for the sake of others, right? So how do we follow Jesus in doing those good, hard things? I have the the scriptures here this morning on the slides and we're going to go ahead and read, but if you want to pull those up, if you want to pull this section up on your phone or in a different translation, sometimes it's kind of neat to see the different language and different translations, feel free to do that. I'm just going to open us in prayer before we go ahead and read this section. Um, God, thanks for for today. Thanks for breath in our lungs and just that we're alive. I, I, I love just reminding myself that I didn't try really hard to exist, but I just woke up one day and here I am. And just thanks for that. Thanks that I exist. Um, And God, thanks for existence being more than 100 years. Thanks that you loved us in a way that you called us to eternal life, to know you. And you want to walk with us like Adam walked with you in the garden, like Adam and Eve walked with you in the garden. God, we don't want to leave you the same. We want to, honestly, we want to seek you this morning. I pray that there would be a grace in this room that everyone would have a personal moment with you, that they would be able to receive from you, look for you in a new way if they're not sure about this whole thing. But let us just have an encounter with you. Let us forget the guy with the microphone and everybody around us, and let us just seek you this morning. I pray that we would know you more. I pray that you would teach us, Holy Spirit. We welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, we're jumping into story, John chapter 12, verse 20. This is, um, that Jesus has gone into Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Passover is really important in Jewish culture. It's remembering how God had saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. But he's, here he is coming into this big festival and we enter the scene, all right? Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. I'm gonna pause here for a second. If you, have, if you don't have the context, that sentence is a little confusing. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. All we know is a few Greeks have come up to say hello, and all of a sudden the son of man and the hour has come for him to be glorified. What is he talking about, okay? So the son of man is a phrase referencing the Messiah in the book of Daniel. Maybe maybe other places in the Old Testament as well, but in Jewish culture, that was a phrase applied to the Messiah who was prophesied to come to save everybody from their sins, who would reign as king over Israel forever. So he's talking that that son of man, is going to be glorified. The time has come. He goes on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So Jesus is referring to himself, and he realizes that if he's going to be glorified, he's actually recognizing that the time has come for him to die. He's, he's seeing this ahead of time. And he's seeing that his life, it's not just, okay, it's time for me to go back home to heaven. It's not just, this is the end of my story as a good moral teacher. It's, it's he's going to bear fruit in dying. His, his life is going to come to an end and he's going to fall to the earth and it's going to bear a lot of fruit, metaphorically, okay? I wanted to take a second and just talk about what, what's he talking about? It, it, this, he, he saw that this was going to mean something for others and we're going to hear more about that later. But the fruit that was gained in Jesus becoming a seed and dying and Jesus laying down his life is new life for you and I today. New life for anybody that wants to be reconciled back to God. If if us falling from the Garden of Eden is the problem, the fruit that's gained in Jesus dying is us being reconciled back into that garden, back into a right standing and a walking abiding relationship with God. That's for you and I today too. The fruit of Jesus dying looks like this. So my name's Jake. I was born in 1994 here in Carlton Place. I'm just going to embarrass my family for a minute. That's my family over there. Look at them. Look at them, eh? That's my sister. Hi. So I'm born and raised in Carlton Place. I was born in 1994. I was raised in a home that taught me that Jesus loved me and that he died for me and that he was supposed to be the the center and the focus of all things. Um, Honestly, I somehow came away with the impression that you know, Christianity was kind of a sin management program in some regards. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying this is the impression that I had, and this is the way I was living for some time as a youth, where I thought that Christianity was a sin management program, and you tried to keep your heaven ticket. You know, your heaven ticket was kind of conditional as long as you didn't sin too much, and if you prayed the prayer, you got the ticket, and you just tried to not be that bad so you'd get there. That's how I lived, but I was really living for myself. I hadn't given myself to a relationship with Jesus. So, um, before I knew it, I had, had a lot of emotional pain, um, I'm just kind of really abbreviating my story here, but before I knew it, I had done some things I wasn't exactly proud of and I had some pain and some, some baggage I was working through and I was coping with things that weren't exactly healthy or ideal. And beyond just the habits that I had, I, there, was, there was things that, even beyond just me being a victim, I, there was things that I had shame about, there was things that I had done that I regretted, things I didn't like to think about. And I had a horrible view of myself. There was times in my life when I sincerely didn't like myself. I didn't know what I was, I didn't like what I looked at in the mirror. I didn't know what value, what anybody could see in who I was. I, I didn't like myself and I was coping with pain, did things I regretted. So I came to a point where that pain was particularly hard in a certain season of my life. And I realized that I had never really given Jesus a shot. I had, I had tried to keep my heaven ticket and I tried not to make him angry, but I had never really sought Him in a sincere way, and the compassion that I met when I started to look for God changed me forever. The compassion when I thought I was going to meet an angry God, that that's what changed me. That's what kept me coming back and looking for Him, was, was graciousness where I thought I would meet anger, was a gentle and comfort healing hand when I looked for God. That changed me forever. Changes my thought patterns about myself. I love myself in a good way now, not in a weird way. I just, I'm proud of, God, you did a good job. You can look in the mirror and say, God, you did a great job. Wow. You know, it, it, it changed everything for me. That's the fruit of what Jesus did as dying as a seed in the ground. It's lives changed. Is anybody else here a product of Jesus' death? You know, anybody and resurrection? Okay. So you guys know what I'm talking about. Talk to somebody that just raised their hand if you're curious about that. Honestly, talk to somebody. Hearing people's stories is amazing. All right, so let's keep going in this passage. Is Jesus just talking about himself? That's my next question. He goes on in verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Okay, so Jesus isn't just using a metaphor for his own life. We're recognizing that he became a seed that died in the ground, and there's a a fruit that changed everything in history. But he goes on to talk about whoever. Now he's just not talking about himself. And he talks about follow me, right? Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So if you love your life, if you hang on to your life, In in the book of Matthew, this same phrase, I I find the language a little more helpful. In the book of Matthew, it says, if anybody hangs on to his life, he'll lose it. But if you lose your life for Jesus' sake, you'll find it. God is making a statement about what you're created for, who you're created for. This isn't just some kind of like, if you don't do enough good deeds, you're not gonna make it. He's making a statement about what you're made for. You're gonna hold yourself back from what eternal life is calling you to, if you just try and hang on to your life selfishly. So this isn't a guilt trip, like it's not about trying to do enough good things. He's, He's saying that if you try and hang on to your life, you're like that seed that goes into the ground and remains alone. But if you die to yourself, and you don't live life to yourself, you bear fruit and you gain eternal life. All right? Isn't that interesting? This is, whatever, this is what he's talking about. And I love that... Uh, anyway, I've got to keep reading before I just talk about that. i got to keep going. All right. Let's keep reading. Now, Jesus turns to a monologue. He's talking about what he realizes is coming for himself. He says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Pause, okay? I'm going to blow your minds, all right? Buckle up. In John 17, Jesus prays that we would be one with the Father even as he was. I want you to just enter into this story for a moment, okay? Jesus is monologuing, his soul is troubled, and he says, am I going to say, take take me away from what's about to happen? No, of course not. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice comes, and everybody hears it. It sounds like thunder. So people are baffled. And he says, actually, that just came for your sake, not for mine. Like, okay, so that's the kind of closeness that Jesus had with God. It didn't surprise him that a voice came and sounded like thunder and spoke to a bunch of people. Did you hear what I said about John 17? Jesus prayed that we would have the same kind of closeness and understanding of who God was as he did with the Father. I don't know that I'm there yet. If a voice that sounded like thunder spoke right now in this room, I don't think I would say to you guys, that's for your sake, not mine. <laughs> I don't think I'm there yet. I don't think I've, I don't think I've got that kind of close understanding of, <laughs> of who God is. But Jesus prayed that we would have the same kind of closeness. Isn't that mind-boggling? Isn't that just something? I mean, if you don't like it, he said it, not me. I mean, I, I have a hard time believing that too. But listen, if he prayed that for me, I'm going for it. You know what I mean by that? Is anybody else with me there? Like, let's go for it. I'm not going to worry about, oh, that's not possible. I'm just going to shelf that verse. I'm going to go for it. What's he doing praying that for me if I can't do it? Right? Okay. Cool. Now, Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was gonna die. I think it's really important, and I'm gonna loop back on this later, that Jesus saw what his death would produce. So he he realizes that the time has come for him to die, and he uses this metaphor that when you die to yourself, and you become this seed, it bears fruit. He knows that him doing what he's about to do is gonna result in fruit for people. He says it again here, when I am lifted up from the earth, He'll draw all people to himself. He sees the results of what he's about to go do. He knows it's going to be difficult, but he knows that when he's ascending to heaven, it's going to mean something for all people. It's important to see that he understood something about that. We're going to loop back on that, all right? He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So the crowd recognizes, they're, they're kind of wondering, okay, is Jesus claiming to be this Messiah that's prophesied about? We thought he lived forever. Why are you saying he's going to die and be lifted up? And Jesus doesn't answer the question directly. Don't you love how Jesus does that? He says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Jesus, who are you? The light is among you for a little while longer. Thanks. Thanks, Jesus. Anyway, let's keep going. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. I want to read that 35 and 36 again. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. I'm going to take the next maybe 10 minutes or so to make a point. I don't know if you guys have ever read something like Jesus' earlier statement where he says, if you, don't, if you, must, you must hate this life in this world to keep it for eternal life. If you love your life you're going to lose it and you must hate the, your life in this world to keep it for eternal life. I don't know if you guys have ever heard some of these radical statements about that Jesus says and just thinks to yourself crap. Like I pff, I don't think I can do it. I don't know that I I don't know that I've I've done enough. You kind of get it's 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 beyond a conviction and it goes to this place of like I don't I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I can do this. I want to really hammer home and I'm going to work through this passage almost backwards to point out what he says in verse 36 believe in the light that you may become sons of light. All right. I'm going to take you on an adventure to Hebrews four to belabor this point. If you want to come with me, we're going to look at Hebrews four. I'm going to start in verse one. If you want to turn there in Hebrews four, I can't go into the whole context because I would just melt your brains, but it would just take ever. It would just take forever is the reason I'm saying that. It would, you guys would probably be okay. I'm not, I'm not insulting your intelligence. All right. Calm down, calm down. All right. In Hebrews, he's comparing a rest that everyone is called to in God to the rest that the Israelites were called to in the promised land. So the Israelites, if you know the famous story, Moses let my, let my people go, they're in slavery, they're called to the promised land and they get all the way up to the promised land. God has given them amazing deliverance. He saved them in radical ways. They walk through a sea on dry land. They get to the promised land. They know God's promised them this land and a rest when they get there and, and, and they choose not to follow. They, 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 they're not willing to trust God on that last step and they, they're hardened. Their hearts are hardened and they, and they don't go for it and God punishes them for it. They make, the, the author of the letter to the Hebrews is making a comparison to that offer of rest to the Israelites, to an offer of rest for you and me, for, for followers of Christ. Here's what he says about this. This is really interesting. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. We who have believed enter that rest. So the rest for the people of God that's offered to you today is you're resting from your works to get back to God in a place where you're his. You're approved, you're clean, you're holy, and you're blameless. You need to work this out to a place where you're actually at rest with that. God's invited you to that rest because it's actually all about Jesus. Do you see how... I'm gonna explain that. It's not about you and then how good you can be. It's about pointing to the works of Jesus and believing in him. Here's what he says, for we who have believed enter that rest. That's an active thing. You enter that rest. Remember what Jesus said right before this? Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So how is it that you're gonna become a son and a daughter of light? How is it that you're gonna be before God again, holy and blameless in his, with bold access to the throne of God? You're gonna believe. It's not going to be about you. It's not about you. You, uh, This is the difference between you going home feeling like you can't do enough and you're discouraged and you feeling like, actually, wait a minute, I can point to what Jesus did and that's where I find who I am and I have a hope and I can become what Jesus said I could become. Now all of a sudden those verses about nothing will be impossible with God start to make sense because it's not just about you and how good you can be on your own. It's about who he is. You enter a place of rest and confidence knowing that you are a new creation in Christ because of what he did. And you just believe. You have a part to play in this. It's not just a complete one-way street, but the act that we do is believing. So here we are in a series of, here we are in in Lent, right? Here we are in a series of Lent. And it's it's acts of devotion. You're giving up something. And here's the thing. I'm going to skip over one verse here and just look at this. This is a really complex diagram. Can you guys see that okay? Listen, if you're going through Lent and you're trying to become a seed that dies in the ground, you're trying to do enough good works to become a child of God, I think you're missing this. I think that's now conditional and that's now about you. That might be scary. You might go home feeling a little discouraged because you're not confident that you can do this. You may not be able to make it. You may not, like, I don't don't know what this good news of great joy for all people is because that doesn't sound like good news if this is about me and my works. If you're pointing to what Jesus did, making you a child of God, and you're believing in what he's done to make you a new creation, then the works flow out of that thankfulness. When you behold, and, you, and the work required of you is to believe and say, I'm clean because he died for me, and he's made me a new creation. You point to him, and the works come out of the sight of that. The book of 1 John says that we love because he first loved. If you see how precious you are to him, it causes you to love more. It teaches you what love is or who love is. Your works come out of that place of understanding that I am worth that much to him. The cross of Jesus Christ wasn't just supposed to be this constant reminder of, look how bad you were. Look at what he had to do. It's look how much you're worth. Look what I went through to fight to get you back. You can uh, please take that personally. You're the only you. There's no one else that's you. You're made in the image of God. There's no other Jake Warren. Somebody might have my name, but I'm me. I'm made in the image of God. I'm the only reflection of God that's perfectly Jake. You are so precious to him. When you see how how much he loves you, the works come. So you are called to follow Jesus and to become like a seed that dies in the ground. You die to yourself. If you wanna find eternal life, you've gotta die to yourself, but you don't go into that blind and hoping you make it home one day by your own good works. You allow him to make you new, deliver you from sin, and, and let love drive you forward. You become the light of the world because he's inside you. Your works flow out of having become a child of God. Dallas Willard, this is a really helpful quote for me. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Chew on that. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. This should, I want want you to turn the key on discipline in your life. I hope I can do that in half an hour, but honestly, I believe it. God can do, if God can raise someone from the dead, he can unlock discipline for us in half an hour. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. So when you're going through Lent, you're giving stuff up. It's not always easy to fast from food. It's not always easy to fast from media, to give up something that you'd rather be doing. It's not always easy. But grace is not opposed to effort. It's just that your perspective, if you're trying to earn God's approval through your discipline, you're missing something. You're, it, it's gonna be awful, it's gonna be destructive, it's gonna be fearful, it's, depending, it's about you. When you become humble to the point where it's all to his credit and glory, and the work that you do is believe, all of a sudden your discipline is about your eye, it's about your perspective on life, you're, going, you're, you're giving up food and all those good things, grace is for your effort so that you can understand more, you can enter that rest, you can get to a place where you know it's not about you and you, it's all to his glory, you just get to shine. That's why we discipline ourselves. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Hebrews, in verse 11, says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Don't miss this. Isn't that a funny phrase? Strive to enter that rest. Isn't that a funny, confusing phrase? Here's what he's saying. Strive to get to that place of perspective. Strive to get to that place of understanding where it's all about Jesus, where it's actually all about You becoming a seed, dying in the ground, all the good in your life is to his credit. You know that it's because he's alive inside you, and you're free. The pressure's off of you. He died to pay the price for all of it. It's good. I'm just going to leave this up here. I want us to turn the key on discipline this morning, and I want to close kind of motoring here. I hope that's all right. Maybe we'll have some stuff after this, but... um, Listen, it's really important to me. I want to close with this thought. I started by telling you that we're talking this morning about how do we do the hard, the good hard things? How are you going to get to a place where you're, you're loving, you're, you're doing the good stuff that's not that easy? And I want to, what I'm trying to make a point here this morning is that it's about your perspective. And I want to make one other point is that you've got to have a vision. You have to understand the results. You've got to know why. You can have a perspective that's based on love, but you have to have an understanding and a why about why you're doing what you're doing. In the book of Proverbs, it says, for a lack of, of understanding, for a lack of knowledge, my people perish. That's why I was pointing out all those things to you earlier in John, where Jesus says that when the Son of Man is lifted up, he'll draw all men unto himself somewhere in here, and he, and he says before that when his, he's, he's using that metaphor about his own life that when a seed dies in the ground, there's fruit that's born. He knows, he understood that what he was going through would mean something for everybody else. You have to understand the why. God's not calling you to, to go and become a martyr without understanding. I wanna know what Jesus saw. I wanna let him change my perspective and my lens because it says that when Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he set his face like flint, and he was marching to his death. Like, he was, he was marching to go be crucified, but he saw someone, something, you, worth dying for. It was, it was for love. Listen, if you lose your life, if you hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for his sake, you'll find it. You'll gain eternal life by dying to yourself and not living selfishly. That sounds really daunting if you don't have the full context. I just want to see what Jesus saw. He saw something worth dying for. Here's the other promise that God gives us, that he came to lead us into abundant life. <laughs> it's not all just, I mean, l- listen, some people have go through a lot. How many of you know, let's talk about some good hard things. How many of you know missionaries are in, are in difficult parts of the world right now? How many of you know that means giving up a lot of comfort? How many of you know that there's people who've actually been crucified for their faith in history? How many of you know that, that being a parent isn't easy? How many, how, how many of you have felt dying to yourself being a parent? That's a good, hard thing, right? How many of you know sometimes it means giving up food? But here's the thing. Jesus is saying he's called you to see something worth it. He's called you to see that you were, like, if you're just trying to hang on to your life for the pleasures here, you're selling yourself short of who you were made to be. Eternal life versus this life here and the pleasures you can hang on to are not even, they're unspeakably incomparable. The abundant life that Jesus is calling to you could mean blessing here. Not everybody's gonna be a martyr, but it's so much bigger than whatever you could try and hang on to in blessing in this life. Discipline yourself, go through Lent, give up stuff to focus more on him and enter that place of rest. Uncompromisingly run after that perspective. What did he see? that caused him to set his face like flint and march to his death for your sake? What kind of a love is he calling us to see and walk in if he's calling us to follow him? Isn't that something interesting? Why would he, isn't that, I love that he says, follow me. Can we just go back there for a second? You're the boss, Jake. Of course we can. You have the microphone. Listen, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Promises elsewhere to lead us to abundant life. And where I am, there will my servant be also. I love the gentleness of the Father in this. He is calling us to radical things because you're made for more than you realize. He is calling us to to die to yourself and believe that you're called to eternal life. It is so much bigger than sometimes we see, and he's promising to be right there with you every step of the way. If you follow him, he's going to be with you. (laughs) That's something, isn't it? Wow. Wow. All right. Um, That's it. I'm going to leave that up there because that's a good quote. All right. I'm going to pray for us. If you want to... Listen, um, I I, I can't do this for you, but I want to pray and and, and just as best I can, I want to plead with you to believe in the power of, of a moment that can happen in prayer. I'm not saying it's going to... Like, like it, don't even make it about the feelings or whatever you experience, but just believe that if God loved you enough to die for you, and you come to him this morning and say, I wanna see more of what you saw, Jesus. I want my perspective to see what you're calling me to. I don't wanna miss out on a call for eternal life and just hang on to crumbs here in this life. If you earnestly come, and I want us to enter into a moment where we say, God, show me. God, teach me and walk, like, like, walk with me in discipline. Not that I can earn my approval to you, but that I can see and I can make it all about you. And you could shine so bright in my life because I'm out of the way. If you want to pray that with me this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand. No judgment if you don't want to, but I'm just, I, I want us to pray and believe in the power of a moment. Believe in the power of, if God is for us, who can be against us? If he, he who did not spare his only son and gave up, but gave him up for us all, how would he not with him also graciously lead us into all things? Everything. Get personal with this, all right? If I leave some silence, just take a moment and talk to God on your own. But I believe Jesus is here and he wants to show us. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for a perspective change that you said that when our eye is good, our whole body shines brightly. Like if we see that we were made with, made for you to walk with you and that the pressure's off of us to get your love and approval... God, I pray that fear would just be out of this room right now in Jesus' name. I pray that, I pray that fear would, that, that people who've been plagued with a fear that, they, that they're not going to be able to be good enough. All these things, like if I hang on to my life, I'll lose it. People that are afraid of losing their life, I pray that, they, that you, Holy Spirit, would infect their perspective to see the beautiful invitation that you're actually inviting to pay the price to bring them back home and be their everything, to be even the power at work in them, as they lay their life down and die to themselves. Just welcome you here, Holy Spirit, and I pray that you change our perspective. We want to see what you see. We want to follow you, Jesus. We want to follow you. We want to love like you loved. Yeah. God, I, thanks, I thank you for the verse that says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. I pray that the freedom you've given us as children of God would be infectious. that we would would see that we've been set free from that which used to rule our lives. We've been set free from the pressure to try and find ourselves and prove ourselves in our own strength and in the world around us, but we've been given you. Let us just, like, love this freedom. Give us a greater clarity and understanding of the freedom we have (laughs) to follow you every day of our lives and for into eternity Give us the freedom, when like Jesus, you honestly said whoever would believe in, in me would never perish. Let us get excited about the fact that we, we actually really can believe in you. Start to believe that we're actually never going to die. Change our perspective on our lives here. Just let your love envelop and wash over every bit of fear and start to give us, give us the, the living hope you long for us to walk in. Let us strive to enter that rest. I bless my brothers and sisters and everybody here to to walk in discipline, to fast, to go through Lent, to go through what it takes to to find that space where we enter that rest. Like, let us see, God. Let us see the rest you've called us to walk and abide in, the confidence that we're yours forever. Unlock that confidence, God. (laughs) Just release freedom in this room. Yeah.